You're on time to talk sports with raw mind. Game day, who plays with updates of all kinds? From press box to sideline, who got cut, who got signed? Who's clutch when it's crunch time? The starting lineup or the pine? These athletes compete, some without even trying. You want a championship, you gotta grind. When them bright lights shine, and this game go nine. They gon' cover the story, not quite like Ryan. Exclusive interviews, dudes plug like Mike Line. He's got the inside scoop of why, who got fine? Prime, time, got the game statistics. I could say, if you wasn't at the game, you missed it. But now, raw mind sports covers the distance. Front row, that's close, like a coach's assistant. You wanna be in the know? Eyes open and listen. This is raw mind sports, another edition. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition on the TBC Tarboro Brewing Company birthday edition of Raw Mind Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Jones, and we have none other than the judge herself of many hats. I mean many, many, many. Before we got on the show, we were talking about a whole lot, but it is none other than the hometown East Tarboro's, where they say Tarboro's, Veronica Higgs. How you doing today? Hi, Ryan. <laughs> I am great. Thank you so much for having me today. So, so I want to talk about, like I said, the mini hats, but we're going to, it's going to be like peeling the orange back. Peeling the orange back here. So we're going to like start off with the childhood because you know Raw Mind Sports, we talk about the sports stuff and then we're going to talk about like her life, her career and what she's doing now. So like, like tell me the life growing up in good old Tarver before you got to where you're at now. Wow, so I'm from right here in um, Tarboro, North Carolina, East Tarboro to be specific. You have to, you know, <laughs> you have to be specific. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, um, the first place I remember living in, in East Tarboro was on Baker Street, which is now Martin Luther King Jr. Drive. Um, I've lived on Bradley Avenue in East Tarboro. I've lived on East Avenue. Um, where else did you start? St. John Street. Oh, you've been so there with you all over East <laughs> And I lived in Fountain Street outside of East so, Yes, I, I'm well versed in, in, in East Tarboro streets. <laughs> so how did you like, like growing up? Like what were some things that you done and you learned so far that may like helped you as a young age? You know, they always say you learn so much at a young age. It kind of sticks with you forever. Well, I, you know, I grew up from very humble means in um, East Tarboro, and um, I, I just learned hard work and uh, work ethic growing up, um, you know, not having very many resources. I learned to be resourceful, um, you know, and, and making sure that uh, I took care of what I did have. So uh, that, the value of education, the value of education, the value of education. <laughs> A lot of emphasis on that. Correct. So, um, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I had the opportunity and the privilege to speak to my old high school, Tarboro High School, and also um, Martin Millennium Academy, which was Martin Middle School when I was in school earlier today. And I was just stressing to them that the importance of education, and for me, you know, in terms of things that I learned growing up from early age, it was just how education can change your life. Oh. Um, as I was seeing people in my life who um, I could see the, the, the great, that education was the great equalizer. Oh. Right? And so that's right, what, right, that's, right. That, that is um, something that I learned very early on. Man, that, that, that was like, that's the great part of like learning things and being able to come back to teach that. So with that being said, while you were just talking right then, you were saying that um, 
he came back home, he had a chance to be here, to go to the high school, to middle school. Like, I know you come here, you have this this very loving feeling, because like, you know, this is home. But like, did you did you see anything? Do you think things have like changed since then? It's like, you know, maybe. <laughs> I mean, you know what, I, you know what, a lot of things have changed. Um, a lot of things are still the same. And, you know, I won't um, be dishonest and say that everything was all roses and peaches. Um, <laughs> Wrong thoughts. <laughs> grow, growing up um, here in Tarboro, North Carolina, I, ha- I do have a lot of fun memories. Um, I have some that are not so fond. Um, but those memories, um, those experiences that I had, both positive and negative, were things that make up who I am today. Those things made me stronger. Those things uh, made me develop character. Oh. Um, and so, I, if somebody asked me today. One of the students asked me, "Would you, you know? Would you change anything?" And I don't think I would, hmm. because I feel like you know, if I had not experienced some of those things at an early age, I would not have been prepared to handle those things as an adult. Right. So. Um, so yeah, it, it definitely shaped me and molded me. Some of the things that I experienced. That I don't think some children should ever have to experience. Um, but I, I, I did experience some of those things at an early age. I know I was reading a quote. I can't even remember the quote. But it was something similar to like, you know, don't wish for an easy life. Wish for the challenge life. Because the challenge life propels you to handle anything or any obstacle in the world. Right. And I saw that yesterday, which was crazy. But I just, I, I know I didn't say it correctly. But <laughs> it's somewhere in that realm yes. what I said. Yes. So I know now that, you know, you was in Tarboro, you played sports. Like, tell me about your love for sports at the time growing up in Tarboro. Wow. So I must say that my love for sports goes back to Sunset Park, <laughs> which I believe is now, is it Braswell? Yeah, 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 yeah. So every Sunday, um, I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. Okay. And so, after, so you had to wear the dresses all the time. Not the dresses Uh-oh. all the time. That's holiness. Okay, okay. I right? didn't know. My phone okay. people. No, look, because I know they, they talk about religion in, in big media now. Wait a minute. I got to make sure. I apologize. There was no pun intended. So, <laughs> so we went to the Kingdom Hall. So after the Kingdom Hall, which, um, you know, we would go every Sunday, every Sunday, every Thursday. So on Sundays... Our treat was to go to the park. Oh. And we would go to the park and play basketball. I have an older brother and two older sisters. Now, the fun fact is that my mom and dad both played basketball in high school. My mom played when there's half-court basketball. Oh. Women play half-court <laughs> basketball. And so um, it was kind of in us. Sports was kind of right, in right, us, right, right, right. And so my brother was heavily into basketball. He went on to play uh, professional basketball for over 20 years, um, both here in the States and overseas. Um, Nathan, shout out to Nathan, our junior as I call him. Yeah, (laughs) the legend. (laughs) So um, he's in the uh, Tarboro High School Hall of Fame. But um, that's where my love of sports started. And so I picked that up from him. Um, I just I still remember being out at Sunset Park and then um, also being at Clark Park, which was um, the race center. Right, 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 right. right. Um, and so we would we would go out and, you know, during the summers, I would go play basketball. I would watch him play. Um, and I just developed a love for the sport even before then. My dad was a huge, huge, huge um, fan of NBA basketball and the Lakers. And so oh, every Sunday, Ooh. we were watching the Lakers 
and especially when the Lakers play the Celtics, it was Ooh. a big robbery. And so we had one TV. So guess what? We were watching in my house on Sunday. The Celtics and Lakers. <laughs> and so, um, and so, I that's that's also feeding into my love for basketball. And so I carried that over. I played basketball starting in middle school. That I played throughout high school as well. Um, and it opened up a lot of doors for me. Mm. Um, I actually, uh, aside from basketball, I played volleyball in high school, um, ran track the last two years of high school. So um, for me, sports was more than just the game. Um, mm. You know, I learned a lot of, about being competitive. Uh, I learned a lot about teamwork. Sports teaches you discipline. Ooh, yes, <laughs> right? Lord. And so um, it really, like I said, opened up a lot of doors for me. Um, by the time I graduated, I had a number of scholarships to play basketball. Um, I'd actually signed to play at Appalachian State um, and then reneged on it um, when I Ooh. got a full academic scholarship to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So I don't regret changing that decision. I did miss not playing basketball in college. Um, but I knew ultimately what my goal was, and that was not in the arena of playing sports. It was to be a lawyer. And so my focus at that point shifted to getting the best grades that I possibly could so that I could be prepared to go to law school. So that being said, you went to law school yet, Carolina, after you done pretty much said, nah, I'm good on basketball. <laughs> after that state scholarship, I'm going to take the academic scholarship. Hint, hint, people. That's things I talk about a lot, like academics. Good feet, bad feet. Right. You can always get somewhere with academics. So with that being right. said, you know, like, what was your journey for you at Carolina at the time? Like, was the, the classes, being in law school, was it extremely gruesome or tough for you? It was tough. Um, and I didn't completely abandon basketball. I actually served as a manager. Um, we had the Tar Heels had just come off the national championship, the 1994 reigning championships when I started <laughs> that year. Um, and so, um, so I worked with the team, and I would travel some with the team. So when they were practicing, I was at practice as a manager. Ooh. And so, you know, we had 5 a.m. workouts, we, and then we came back in the afternoon and we had workouts. So we had two-a-days, especially at the beginning of the season or off-season. Um, and so it was grueling. I mean, so I was not a student athlete per se, but I still had the schedule of a student athlete. So Sylvia Hatchett was coached there too? Sylvia Hatchett so, was the So she made sure you was at 5 a.m. too. So you, could, you couldn't miss no practice. I couldn't, I couldn't miss because we were making sure everybody had what they needed. Right, from right. gear to balls to water to whatever. We were making sure um, that we had everything that they needed. And sometimes I even practiced with the team. <laughs> so so it, was a, it was a lot. So it wouldn't even just like regular responsibilities. When people say managers, most people at kids in high school are you just getting water. You yeah, say no, it's equipment, no, it's whatever no. they need. Whatever you need to make sure they, they have it. And I wanted to be, I wanted to be around the game. Um, I had hoped that maybe I would have a chance to walk on. That didn't happen, but that's okay. I still got had a great, great experience um, there um, with the team, getting to travel, and you know it. I couldn't have asked for a better college education and better college experience than with those same ladies who, many of whom I'm still friends with and in contact with today. Man, wow. Yes. So, so, like, from that point, you know, you, you're, you're a lawyer, you're, you're getting your law degree, and you're trying to find options, like, in the process of you, I'm pretty sure, graduating from Carolina from that. Yeah. Like, like, tell some of the kids the obstacles. Did you go through any obstacles, like, the, before you really graduated to become a lawyer? 
Sure. So um, a part, a, a, a huge part of, of this puzzle, um, who of becoming Veronica, <laughs> uh, was that um, I had a child very early on. Oh wow! I had a child in middle school, and so um, you know, so I wouldn't consider that an obstacle, but it was. It changed my life because wow. not only is it just me now, I have somebody else I have to take care of. In middle so, school, like in middle that. school. <laughs> oh. So I was a mom before I was a teenager. Think about that. Wrap your mind around that. Wow. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, she didn't know. Right. I'm feeling this on this show. I'm, I'm a wrong mind guy. Like to even before we even finish, like to even go through them art school still. Yes. Academic, so, get a scholarship, play basketball with a child. Yes. Already, why are you in high school? Right. That, that's so it was. It was like I said, it was life changing. Um, I so now not only am I in high school, I am trying to get my work done. I was a straight A student, middle school, high school, straight A student. Um, I'm working my first job, Piggly Wiggly. Shout out to the Honeycuts. I love the Honeycuts. <laughs> he's um, still down there, by the way. Yeah, he's yeah, still down there. He's probably working right now. Probably right now. Right now. Um, and so I'm, I'm leaving practice. I'm going to work. I go home. I have my homework. And I also have my son to take care of. Woo! So, you know, so that was a lot. And luckily I had the support of my mom. My, my dad um, was there. And um, I couldn't have done it without them. My mom is deceased now. My dad is in Georgia with me. But at that time, it was so critical to have their support. I could not have done any of it without them. I could not have finished high school. I could not have gone on to college and then lost school without their support. So I had, like I said, I, don't, I wouldn't consider it an obstacle, but I had a couple more responsibilities than most of my yeah. peers. <laughs> so. which, is, which is, and that's why in this lesson, a quick segment like, you can't make excuses because, like, to even to have that at a young age and still be here in the small town Tarboro, well, we know just being real raw thoughts right. in Tarboro, that age group, we don't have a lot of resources. So, Correct. like, to even have that is, like, that's, 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 that's incredible. That's like a story in itself. So, in the midst of getting all this, and that's mm-hmm. just a powerful you know, oof, that, that just hit me right I say, it's my, I, say it's my, I say it's my testimony. I mean, you know, um, and I, I tell kids all the time when I talk to them, it's like, it's, I don't recommend it. I don't rec- recommend that they take that route. Right, right, but right. there's no testimony without tests. And right. I'm not going to preach. But I, I just, I need people to understand that, you know, no matter what your obstacle or what type of um position you may be in or what kind of background you come from because we were like I said we were poor we were dirt poor we were, we were on welfare I remember getting right. food out of grandma's uh, kitchen in Princeville like I remember all of these things but they 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 shaped me right they shaped me um, they made me stronger they they built that character that allowed me to 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 ha- develop a great work ethic um, to, to push for more, to push mm. for better, because now not only is it me that I want to be successful for, I want to be successful for my kid. Oof, yes. And so, you know, it, like I said, I don't, I reiterate, I don't recommend no, anybody know, become know. a parent right, you know, right, at right. that age, but, you know, it, that's my story, and that right. shaped me. And that story right there was like every story in life shapes somebody from right. somewhere, some way, somehow. Right. You know, you probably have stories where like that. You may have stories where a person was just troubled in the youth, probably in jail for years, but then he becomes somebody amazing. Cool. And you're like, you know, those obstacles still shape you. It's just different routes. So now you're you're a lawyer and 
you become a lawyer, what led you to Gwinnett County and to, well, to the state of Georgia, as okay. I say? So I wanted to be a lawyer from the age of eight. Manifestation. <laughs> so we're getting it all in this, this podcast power. today. We're getting it all. The power of words, the power of thoughts. And I'll tell you why. Um, you know, just growing up here in Tarboro, North Carolina, raw thoughts. Uh, <laughs> I saw a lot of injustices. Yeah. I, I'm just, you know, being honest. Um, I, I, I saw a lot of things as a young child that I said, that's not fair. Um, and so I said, when I grow up, I want to be a lawyer so I can represent people who don't have money for a lawyer. That was mm. my ultimate. That is the reason why I, I initially decided that I wanted to become a lawyer at eight years old. Um, now, you know, I had no idea what it would take to become a lawyer. The, the interesting thing that I remember, um, Mr. Ray, Mr. Moses A. Ray, a. Ray the legend himself. Correct. I remember. That's the first lawyer like you know that I can remember right um and I want to say I know he was a dentist, dentist. he wasn't also the mayor he, he was, was he was but this is the first person I'm like wow he's a powerful man in a in, in that a, in, era in that era you're talking about the 80s at that time Ooh. right right um and I was just like wow that's so inspirational and so um but seeing, like I said, seeing those injustices was like, I want to be able to do something about it. And so that was my major impetus for even going to law school. Um, you know, so I knew as I got into high school, I figured out, okay, well, this is what it's going to take. You know, I need to finish high school. I need four years of college. I need three years of law school. Um, and so I set on that path and, um, you know, just worked hard, just fought my way through, fought and scratched my way through. Oof. You know, with the help of scholarships, because my parents didn't have money right, 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 to right. college, so I knew I needed to get scholarship, right? You got that right. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we both can't be in Tom Hill. Right. Well, no. It, well, I mean, you was graduated at the time, so I'm sorry. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. And, 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 and it wasn't so much as um, I just really wanted to make a difference, right? It was how can I make a difference um, with the skills that God has given me? Because I was always a great student, right? I was. I was a straight-A student, um, you know, did well on my SATs, all this stuff. Um, but how can I then translate that into service, hmm. into serving the community? So your little, so it's basically what you're saying, raw thoughts, folks. Your little language has to be, at first I thought it was words of affirmation, but now it's really acts of service. That's oh, absolutely. Your, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so for me, for, for me expressing, expressing outwardly is acts of service. Absolutely. Yes. God. Absolutely, that is my love language. So, <laughs> so, so now you there, you you finally get. When did you get like your first lawyer? Um, when did you become? The, excuse me. When did you be able to practice law? Okay. So, <laughs> so, um, in law school, my dad was living in Atlanta already, right? And so, um, I started interviewing for jobs in Atlanta, in the Atlanta area, and I got a great job working with a huge law firm in Atlanta called King and Spalding. And so I moved from um, Chapel Hill to um, Atlanta in 2001. And okay. so I've been down there ever since um, 2001. I started out with big firm, um, 
you know, representing clients like General Motors um, and some other clients. And then ultimately, I practiced for 19 years. Ultimately, I became a firm of one. I started my own firm because uh. remember when I told you I wanted to be able to represent those who could not right. afford a good attorney? Right. So I did the big law firm thing. You know, I was like, okay, you know, I need a big, I need some money to take care of my kid. I did that for a while, but I wanted to get back to the reason that I wanted to be a lawyer to begin with. And so I started my own practice, which enabled me to be able to do that. It enabled me to be able to, to represent people who I wanted, <laughs> whoever I wanted to represent. Right, right, right. You know, some for free, pro bono, and some for reduced prices. Um, I also knew I wanted to get into sports agency. I couldn't do that working for somebody else. Gotcha. And so that's why I opened up my own firm. That was back in 2010. And so I handled criminal cases, civil cases, ironically, everything that I now handle as a judge. So I know now you're a judge, but before I get into that part mm-hmm. and, and that, so like in them cases, like did you have a, did you did you like a lot of, did you have a lot of good income, I mean outcomes at any of those cases compared to you know not so good outcomes. So any lawyer that tells you they never lost a case is lying, <laughs> <laughs> right? So. So you win some and you lose some. And I won more than I lost, thank God. Um, but there, there were some really good wins and some really bad losses. Um, and because a lot of people don't understand that sometimes you know you're going to lose Oof. from the beginning. Oof. Especially in the criminal case. If you got the smoking gun, what are you going to really do? So at my job, if, I'm, if I was retained in a situation where you know, clearly they're guilty... I, my job is to mitigate. My job is what can I tell the jurors or the court mm. or the prosecutor, what kind of information can I give them to look at my client more favorably? Right? Uh. Did they steal that bread because they were trying to feed their kids? Can I prove that? Can I prove that the reason they were stealing food from Walmart was because they had just lost their job? I can prove they just lost their, lost their job. Right? So anything that I could use, I knew he was going to be found um, guilty, right? I knew that. Um, but instead of doing 30 days, maybe I can get him probation. Ooh. So it's mitigation. So, so for me, that was still a win because he's not in jail. Yeah, he won't stop stealing. Right, right, right. That was, that was like a, that was a huge win. So, yeah. and, I, and I feel like in those situations with lawyers, even though you're trying to win a case against another lawyer and it may be, it's still like a, a Competition. When I say competition, I'm saying like you still want to beat this lawyer because you right. want your guy to win. I'm not saying right. like you want to see anybody go down or whatever like that. The, 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 the party or the defendant, mm-hmm. you know, going down. But still, like I want to win this case because I have a client. You want to win. Right, right, you right. You always want to win. Right? <laughs> you want to win. I never. That was. I never took a case and 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 didn't say I want to win this. Thanks. But there are some that I took and I would be very upfront right. with the client and say, listen. Uh-oh. It's not looking good. <laughs> From the beginning, right. I would say, okay, there's a video of you at the scene. There is a video. That is not good. Whether you committed the crime or not, the fact that you are there at the scene is not in your favor. So how would you like explain that to, I guess, mitigate that to mm-hmm. like, okay, we got this, but I'm pretty sure the, the defendant like, what, what can we do right. to not do that? Like certain Correct. things are different? So... The bank was broken into. Let's just say somebody broke Okay, okay. Right? And tried to get into the vault. You were there on the scene, but let's, let's, do, let's work 
backward. And let's say, let's, let's try to prove or disprove the theory that you were inside the bank. So let's go get the video, right? Let's go get the video and see, got the video where you're outside, but there's no video of you on the inside. The video of other people being on the inside, uh -huh. right? So, so how can we methodically, you know, go step by step by step to prove that you're not the one who broke into the bank even though you were there? Because think about it now, Ryan. You could have been at, you could have been at that same bank at the ATM getting cash out of the ATM. That's you're, great. You're there, Woo. right? Right. <laughs> the classic case of wrong place at the wrong, wrong time. time. <laughs> right. So this. Diff is, is there's so much that goes into the you know being a lawyer detail 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 so every important. detail matters every detail matters the time okay you went to the ATM and got money there's a time stamp on when you got that money correct correct okay your time stamp is 30 minutes after the bank was broken into now do you, does it make logical sense can I convince the jury would it make logical sense for you to go back and try to break into the bank when you just went to the ATM to get money out of it hmm. that kind of thing See, you gotta be three steps ahead right. of the prosecutor wrong thoughts we are people we are literally getting the good stuff stuff that you don't get like she's even breaking down cases lawyers directing you giving you theories how they work on cases you know, in court, like you don't, you don't, you just don't get this. It's from my sports, baby. You don't know what you gonna get out here, baby. You just don't know. So, in the meantime, with that, you know, outside of the good stuff, telling us the theories and becoming a lawyer, how you get people to try to win your cases. You also say you created a firm for you, so therefore you become a sports agent. What made you say you wanna be a sports agent? <laughs> right. <laughs> and at that, on top of that, an NFL agent. Oh, boy. So, right. <laughs> So you can probably look at me and tell I've never played football. Right? <laughs> That's fair. Um, but how did that come about? So, um, so my husband Robin at the time um, was a uh, former baseball player, and so we wanted to start a sports agency, and um, he was going to take over the base. The baseball side, mm -hmm. and we um, we had several connections in the football world, and so mm. we're like, okay, we need we need somebody to become an agent. So for me, I love football. I always been a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. We, we, we'll, Cowboys. Cut this, we'll cut that out. We'll cut that out. We'll cut that out of here. Talk about the Cowboys. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. So I, I always, I mean, I, I've watched the sports since I was, you know, as we say here in Tarboro, knee high to a duck. And so I love the sport. I knew a lot about the sport. And I had to, to be an NFL agent at the time. I don't know what the rules are at this point. But you had to have a secondary degree. So either a law degree, a medical degree, some type, a master's, some kind of secondary degree after college to be mm. an agent. And so at that time, I had, the, I had a law degree. And so that qualified me to be able to sit for the exam. And so, you know, like I said, I love sports. And I said, why not marry my love for sports with my love for the law, right? And, and, and uh, management. Hmm. And so, um, so I became, I studied, I became an NFL agent. And, you know, tried to get, I did get several guys into the CFL. Um, I worked with, you know, I recruited several guys that were trying to get into the NFL. So I enjoyed it. I did that from 2011 until 2018 when I ran for judge the first time. Ah, 
So, so that's another part we about to go into. Mm-hmm. And uh, while I'm at it, uh, shout out to my sponsors, you know, TBC Tall Brewing Company and also Essential Collections. Happy birthday, TBC. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us real quick before we get into all the details of the judge part, the judge, the good stuff. Like, can you tell us, like, the difference between, like, what was it? Was there any difference between being a sports agent and a lawyer? And, like, can you tell us, like, what was here in this lane and here in that lane? Okay, so there was a lot of overlap, really. People don't really think about it because you're talking about management. But um, when I first became a lawyer, I was practicing business litigation. So a lot of that dealt with contracts, um, dealt with the interpretation of contracts, right? Um, Business litigation, all that is, is you've got two businesses who may have a contractual agreement that somebody said one or the other breached. Mm. So, so one of those businesses saying, well, we have this agreement and you breached it. So you're dealing with contracts. So I had that background. What are you doing as an NFL agent? Or NFL contract advisor is the proper name. Um, you're, you're negotiating contracts. Right, so you're again dealing with contracts. You're trying to get the best deal that you can for your client, right? And so there was that overlap there. You, as an attorney, you're advocating for your client. Mm. As an agent, what are you doing? You are advocating for your client. So there's a there's there's a lot of transferable skills from being a lawyer to being an agent, and those skills served me well. You know, when I was trying to negotiate, like I said, I think the biggest. I'm not going to call it impediment, but hurdle mm-hmm. that I had to get over in terms of being an agent and being a female was that people know I didn't play, but they don't know Drew Rosenhaus never played. <laughs> being an agent is about relationships. It's about knowing people who may have family members who are, who are coming through the system, coming through school, oh. that kind of thing. Uh, right place, right time. That's all that happened with Drew Rosenhaus, who's kinda, one of the best. He was at Miami at the right time. Uh, he, that's exactly he, what he happened. He was, like he, was, he, was, he was a water boy. Wow. <laughs> at the University of Miami. <laughs> now look at him. Now he knows all the guys of late shifts. Right, correct. Now, he, now he's big. So he gets in. And yeah. he, he was, he's super smart. So he got in that way. Um, but for me, when I'm sitting down trying to talk to um, – a player's mom or whatever is like, well, what do you know about football? So you gotta, you gotta oh. show them at least that you. And I don't know every. So you didn't hit I know the Dallas I Cowboys, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I did. And so the thing was, I, I didn't need to know every X and O. Right, no right. agent needs to know every X and O or every play. You know, I need to know. Um, is this player coming from a pro-style offense? Is this player, you know, do they, will they be a better fit on a 3-4 or a 4-3? Oh, those are the kind of okay, things, okay. High level. Okay, okay. <laughs> you do, are, you do. Those are the kind of things that I needed to know to see if my client would be a good fit for a certain type of team. Gotcha. Right? Or for me to send out video and say, hey, you know, I know, you know, you need a center or you need an offensive lineman or you need a defense. I know your defensive end is going to be tall and thick and right, right, know, right, right, that right. kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, you're fine. No, you're fine. <laughs> but but you, you had to, those are hurdles that I had to go through that my male counterparts did not. At the time that I became an agent back in 2011, there were 32 um, female agents out of 800 agents. So think Ooh. about it. 32 Ooh. out of 800. I think there may be a little bit more now. But it's, it is a hard field for a female to get into. Now, 
now we have people like Jalen Hurts who have all women representation, team, right? Including an agent, right? Um, who is a black female? Who right. are they? Are females? They're right, all right. females. Um, and so that was unheard of during those times, during that time, ten years ago or so. Um, but now you're starting to see more of that. So now I guess in that that theory, it was like a fun ride for you. They always say every season comes to an end. Right. So that season ended. <laughs> for now. Right, for now, for now, for now. I apologize. So now we went into running for judge. And I heard you say something about the first time you ran. Yes. So let, let's talk about that one first. Yes, yes. So um, in 2017, I was approached um, to run for judge. I was not planning to run for judge at the time. I think I had about 16 years of practice at that time. Um, and in Gwinnett County, there had never been a person of color elected statewide to any judgeship or any other, I'm sorry, countywide to any judgeship. We didn't have any people of color on our benches, mm. on our state court bench or our superior court benches in Gwinnett mm. County. Um, although Gwinnett County is the um, most diverse county in the southeastern United States. Oof. Uh, in large part due to the 1996 Olympics and people that stayed after that. Okay, okay. Um, but um, I was approached to run, and I was like, wait, what are you talking about? I, you know, I got my practice, I got my kids, you know, like, what's so How do they sell you? Right, you know, and, and, but I, they were saying, okay, well, you have the experience, right? Um, I had worked with indigent um, clients uh, as an indigent defense attorney. Um, I had worked in civil litigation. Remember I told you I did business yeah, litigation? Yeah, you did. Um, so I had done everything that a... Um, a superior court judge, I ran for a superior court first, to, had, would do. I had did different, uh, you know, I had practiced in different areas. I did everything uh, superior court does except for domestic, which is like divorces and child support. I tried to stay away from the family law stuff. I got you. <laughs> but, you know, but they were looking, they were actively recruiting um, people of color that were qualified, highly qualified people to run. And so I ran. Um, I, had the, I had a lot of support. And we didn't win. We knew it was going to be an uphill battle. There were not. There were not no people of color. Wow. So for me, like to see you, because most people, man, you know, especially when you didn't intentionally want to run anyway, it wasn't like your natural purpose, but people kept, I guess, proving the purpose. Right. And you lost. Like, how did that make you feel? Did you say, you know, I'm not running no more? <clears throat> you know what? And, and it is interesting that you asked me that question because, um, I went into, so there was, I went into the election. There were five of us in the election. Well, initially there were four. And then a, a fifth person got into the race late, late into the game because there were four, there were three men and mm -hmm. myself. And a lot of people felt like I might have a chance to win. Oh. And so another person joined the race and that person wound up winning. And, but I never, I never said I'm never, I wasn't expecting to win. Honestly, okay, okay. I was not expecting to win because we we had never won. Gotcha, we we gotcha, had gotcha. run before. Um, I was the first black woman uh, to run for superior court um, or state court. Mm -hmm. So we hadn't won. We, we, we knew it was going to be an uphill battle. And so basically, I just never stopped running from that point. I was disappointed. And I'll tell you, um, we're here at TBC, um, Tower Brewing Company. <laughs> And my great friend and high school classmate, Anna's Holders, Ainey, came down to help me um, 
to help me campaign, came to Atlanta. Oh, you had some energy then. Okay, <laughs> to help me campaign. She supported me throughout my candidacy. Um, she was crying her eyes out. Her and Tamika Black, another great friend, they, they were crying their eyes out. And they, nobody understood why I wasn't sad. I knew that that was a part of the process. Uh. I, 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 I was disappointed, yes, but I wasn't sad because I knew that wasn't the end. Mm. And so, like I said, I said, well, I'll run again when, another, when there's another open seat, meaning when there's someone else retires, then I'll run again. And that's what I did. So two years later, fast forward, um, 2020, I'm running for state court because there's an open seat in state court and not superior court. And we ran so hard the first time that nobody even challenged me in the election. Well, they didn't want to fight. <laughs> I they, didn't like, want, they didn't want to strap up, huh? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm guessing. But, you know, I, I, the more I think about it, I know that that was just confirmation for me that that was a part of my purpose. Oh. There was a part, it's almost unheard of to have an open seat where anybody could put their name in the hat. Right. Right. You're not running against anybody. You're not running against an incumbent. It's just the incumbent is retiring. So now you could put your name in the hat to run. Nobody, nobody ran. But you're talking about people's livelihood. You're talking about people's money. You're talking about people's freedom. Right. Right. I'm making these decisions. So it, it is a powerful position. Um, that can be abused, to be quite honest with you. Um, so I, what, what keeps me grounded is the fact that I'm, I'm held accountable to the voters. All right, so I'm going to ask you this question. I always thought about this. Like, you make a case, like, and you're a judge, and let's say you want to make the right decision, even though you know it might be morally or ethically wrong, and maybe I'm wrong, so this is what you come into. But the lawyer may say, hey, look, Law number such and such says, and it makes you feel like, well, I got to go in because that's what the law says. Do you have those? Have you ever had those situations happen before? Absolutely. Whew. Absolutely. I've had a situation where I had to make a decision based on the law that I did not feel was morally correct. Whoa. You know, um, you have, I'll give you an example, you have someone that's injured. Um, and they're claiming they were injured in a car accident or slip and fall because somebody else was negligent. Now, there are certain nuances in the law that if we find, if the, if, if the jury were to find, right, or if it was a bench trial, if I was to find that you were also negligent and you were more negligent than the other person, then you don't recover. Even though, even though that other person is, is also negligent, you know, if you were negligent as well, then you don't recover. So, thankfully for, for me as a judge, I have to, I have to follow the law. I, take, I took an oath to follow the law. Now, there are, I have discretion in a lot of cases, um, in a lot of instances where I can say, okay, well, the law is this, but... I think that the law should be changed or I think that um, the facts support this decision, then I can do that. I can, I can go um, outside of what the current state of the law is if, I'm, if I think that it, the change is important enough that um, you know, one of the sides appeals it and goes to the Court of Appeals to try to get a change in the law. I can advocate for a change in the law as a judge. 
if that makes sense. So right, right, right. if the law is one way and I think that morally, ethically, it should be another way. Correct. I can make a decision, somebody doesn't agree with it, and they can take it up to the Court of Appeals and possibly make a change in the law. All right, so how long do you think you'll be a judge? <laughs> I can do this forever. Okay, okay. I love, I love what I do. Um, for me, it's about service. It's about giving back to the community. Um, and, you know, literally, I could do this until the wheels fall off. All right, so I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna call this the <laughs> the raw thought minute. This is where we get Veronica his copes raw thought minute. This is your raw thought minute in a minute to where like to tell the people what they don't know about you, what you love to do. I guess outside of minute hats you got and <laughs> what you want to be heard on this podcast that you haven't had a chance to say. Cool. So, um, I mean, I'll just say that particularly for any young people that are listening, um, it's okay to not know exactly what it is that you want to do right now. Um, I had what I believe would be my career path. Um, it veered off several different times. And every time that it veered off, I gained valuable skills in another area that I never thought I would. Um, and also my story is, particularly when we're talking about um, you know, losing the first election. Don't give up. I like to quote Coach Jimmy Valvano, even though I'm a Carolina girl, and he coached that state, um, God rest his soul. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. I live by those words every single day. Um, so if you don't take anything else from, from, from this discussion, just know that it's okay to not know what you want to do and to be flexible um, in your career path, whatever that may be. Woo, I think we done had a lot. We done had a lot of raw thoughts in this show. <laughs> you know, that's about it for Raw Mind Sports. Um, and it was just amazing to have you here. Um, you know, you guys here. can follow me, any podcast player from um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Who it's a lot. LinkedIn, YouTube. You can follow me on Instagram, Raw Mind Sports, Facebook, Raw Mind Sports page. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, you know, my end. Um, I don't know. You may need to be followed, but I let you be decided. You know, to tell the people they want to find you if you are on any social media platform. I am on social media. Um, you can find me at, at MZ Legal Diva on Instagram. Um, also, Veronica Cope on Facebook. I know nobody does Facebook anymore, but um, and also on Twitter at um, Veronica Cope and Judge Veronica Cope. So, who? But that's that's all we have here. Uh, raw mind sports, raw mind. Miss Cope, she gave you raw thoughts. We are out. Thank you. Eyes open and listen. This is raw mind sports. Another edition.